loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I welcome Kathy Nicholson-Hall, PsyD and MA. Kathy's been been active in clinical psychology for more than 35 years. For the last 16 years, her professional life has been focused on the development of George Mark Children's House, where she's the staff psychologist and president of the board of directors. She's an adjunct staff member of Children's Hospital Oakland, where she was part of an interdisciplinary team that treated oncology patients and their families. Previously, she was a staff member at the Ann Martin Children's Center, an organization that offers low-fee counseling services to the culturally diverse Oakland community. Among the honors Dr. Holes received for her philanthropy and humanitarianism are Maria Shriver's Minerva Award, Purpose Prize Fellow, and the Jefferson Award. In 2016, Kathy delivered a TED Talk, which has garnered almost one million views. (coughs) Excuse me. She's also a Regent Emeritus of Santa Clara University. She's married to... Bill Gisvold, and has eight offspring and nine grandchildren. Welcome, Kathy. <coughs> Are you there? Grandchildren. How many? Ten. We've had a new one. Ten. You've had a new one since, <laughs> since the bio. As you know, I'm well, awaiting my third. Ten seems like, wow. <clears throat> but it's it could exciting. get there because... My, my two other daughters are younger, so uh, they don't have kids yet. Just the oldest has kids. So um, I'm and really, really happy. Affirming. I'm sorry? I said, and how life-affirming are those new babies? They're just such a gift. It's amazing. It's amazing. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, I'm really looking forward to that new person energy, for sure. It's fantastic. Um, but we're talking about another another aspect of of uh, family life today. Um, I'm really happy to have you. I've known about George Mark Children's Center for a long time. In fact, I took a tour uh, of the center very close to the beginning of when you opened. And uh, just full disclosure, my wife and our dog have been volunteering there for the last few years. Um, at which they've enjoyed incredibly. So I'm really happy to have you on to talk about the center and your own experiences and the work that you're doing. I think it's fantastic. Thank you. And I'm happy to have this opportunity to let people know that we're here and what we're doing. Absolutely. So let's just start uh, at the beginning of that because, um, you know, people may not, want to think about the need for hospice for kids, but apparently in places such as as England, they have thought about that and done maybe a better job than we have 
in the U.S. at meeting the needs of those families. So can you just talk about how that, how, how this idea came about and, and what spurred you on and what exactly the center is there for? All right, help me if I forget one of those three things. <laughs> for as sure. As I'm responding sure to that question. Um, I'll start with your comment about England really maybe having a better approach to facing the issue that, sadly, not all children will survive their childhood. And I think that in the United States, we... Um, have this wonderful, optimistic, can-do approach to lots of things, which um, really serves, I think, serves us well for many, many reasons. But in this particular instance, it really doesn't serve us very well to just think we can fix this somehow when what we're talking about is an incurable condition for a child. So... It really then requires a shift in thinking to how can we provide the very best care that this family and child needs given this particular set of circumstances. So my introduction to the thought about providing end-of-life care for children happened when I was, as you mentioned, at Oakland Children's Hospital on the oncology team, so each family whose child was diagnosed with some form of childhood cancer um, was given a treatment team, including, you know, their oncologist physician, the nurses who would be caring for their child, social worker, psychologist, that's me, um, physical therapist, I mean, a whole range of people to help this family and child address the difficult diagnosis. And for the most part, childhood cancers are very curable and, you know, it was rewarding to be part of that team and helping these families cope in a difficult time. But for the, you know, the minority percentage of these children who aren't ever going to get well, it became really clear that a hospital ICU unit isn't a particularly user-friendly place for a family at the end of their child's life. And I didn't really have a notion of what the alternatives were, but a colleague at Children's Hospital, Dr. Barbara Beach, um, with whom I had done a lot of work, said, you know, in England they have these wonderful pediatric hospice and respite centers And I said, have you ever seen one? And she said, no, but I get literature about them all the time. So we decided we'd go take a look. And Mm -hmm. um, we went to England many times because once we had seen one, we certainly wanted to see others. Um, And meanwhile, just thinking, oh, my gosh, we need one of these in the Bay Area, not realizing that there weren't any in the U.S., Not even just not in the Bay Area, but not in the whole U.S. No. And we, you know, as naive as we were, we thought, well, we'll just check around and see who else is doing this in the United States. We don't have to keep going to England. Um, And it was really kind of alarming to discover that 
it's not that there weren't any pediatric hospice services. There weren't any services in a residential facility like we have created so that the entire family can move in and receive the care that their child and the rest of the family members need right here in this sweet little facility in the hills of San Leandro. I want to I want to echo the uh, sweet facility. It's so beautiful and so homey, and uh, obviously it's not someone's home. Uh, it's not the family's original home, but I can imagine that families feel very much at home there. That's certainly the feedback that we get from our families, and I think that. One of the things that really rings true about that is that they continue to come back. Even after a child has died, um, we keep this wonderful, strong connection to our families, and they come back to honor that child's birthday, or they bring their siblings to see where their big brother had lived before they knew that brother. Um, Really wonderful, heartwarming stories. And so the other thing that I think that I hear between the lines there is that um, you're oriented towards the idea that uh, relationship continues with someone that that has been has died. That um, you can t- continue to think of that person, um, honor them, keep them in your life in some way. Because if people are returning, they must. Uh, they must have that viewpoint to a degree. I think that's really true, Cheryl. I think that um, one of the biggest fears, certainly, for a parent whose child has died is that that child will be forgotten. So we create as many opportunities as possible for them to know that their child not only has not been forgotten, but is being remembered Um, For instance, we do an annual Remembrance Day um, in December that's actually part of a worldwide um, candlelighting ceremony around the world at 7 p.m. On the second Sunday of December, people light candles for children who have died. And it's such a meaningful ceremony for our families. And they come back and they get to reconnect with each other. And we, you know, we create this very welcoming place to remember their child and and honor that little life. I I was in preparing for today. I of course looked looked over your website where it said that you don't have a time limit on bereavement services and um, this is something that I think is really lacking even in hospice services. Most of them offer bereavement um groups and that sort of thing for for the first year but i notice as a grief counselor that most people are just beginning to be ready to consider that in a year um so i'm wondering do people immediately uh take advantage of your bereavement services or does it tend to take a while and then they kind of return um both of those instances are really true, and I'm sure in your work you've seen it as well, that um, some people, you know, need that support right away to even navigate what the next month is going to look like after a child has died. And others, 
you know, kind of put one foot in front of the other and wend their way through maybe the first several months or the first year, and then they, uh, you know, hit an emotional block with an anniversary, the anniversary of the death or the first Christmas without that child or, you know, the birth of a new child can bring up all that loss again. Absolutely. It isn't there to be celebrated. Um, I'm sure you say this to your clients and I do as well, that grief is such an individual journey that, you know, there's really no map for it. And Absolutely. Timeline, which is what we really try to say to our families. You know, we may not see you for a year. You may not have any reason to feel like you want to come back. But if and when you do, we're here and the doors are open. Well, I also notice, and I absolutely agree with you, the other thing I say to people is this isn't something we're trying to get rid of. You know, there there will be an ongoing impact, especially true with the loss of a child, I feel, in some you know, I've interviewed a lot of parents who've lost children. There is a slightly different feeling about it uh, in my experience. But, um, you know, the, the other thing is that there's a private part of grief and there's a community part of grief. And uh, some people are not ready for the community part right away. Uh, they Absolutely. might. Do, uh, do, uh, do they have the opportunity to talk one-on-one with someone if that feels more appropriate at a certain moment? Absolutely. I am um, our staff clinical psychologist. We also have a social worker. We have a child life specialist. Um, I mean, again, much like the team of which I was a part at the hospital, we have created a large multidisciplinary team. So if the family has a child who is grieving and they think that child needs help, you know, we'll plug in our child life specialist who really is trained to do age-appropriate grief support and activities. And if it's an adult, I'm happy to work with them or grandparents. Um, If they're looking for services closer to their own community, um, our social worker is really our resource person for them. So we have a lot of different ways to, you know, support our families and to encourage them to reconnect with families here who have shared, uh, you know, maybe not an identical experience, but that same searing grief that comes with the loss of a child. Absolutely. So we have several families who have said, we're happy to talk to a newly bereaved family, and that's a wonderful resource. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, even this show comes out of a, of a desire to give out of my own experiences. I think that's really, really common uh, for people who've experienced a lot. Eventually, when you kind of figure out how to navigate it, uh, there's a sense of um, wanting to give something back to other people. So it sounds as if you have that uh, kind of well organized, um, where because you have the families that can that have been been um, with the loss of their child for a while, and the families who are currently in uh, a more acute situation. Yeah, 
Yes, and it's a wonderful thing for the newly bereaved families to connect with a family whose child may have died, you know, a year or two or more, to just know that people live through this experience where not only does it not feel like you will, you don't really want to. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, their hearts are broken and they can't imagine a time that there would be joy again in their lives. So to talk with families who say, it's not that you've forgotten this child, it's that you have integrated that experience, it's so much a part of who you are, and you've then made room for happier things. Absolutely. Obviously, we've sort of... uh, if if we were being linear, we've gone in the opposite direction, haven't we? Because, um, of course, the way that families encounter you first is services before a child has died. Um, and yes. what what stands out to me most is just the opportunity, should economics allow, to be together for that period of time and be supported because. Uh, having helped someone die at home, that is pretty grueling work. I'm glad I did it, but <laughs> it wasn't wasn't easy. And if you have, uh, as I did, other children in your home, and you know, it, it could get very, very difficult. So that idea has always been so wonderful to me that the family can just move in and and um, share that time uh, before the loss. We really talk about the experience at George Mark as being a gift of time and for on any number of fronts and for any number of reasons, but it really, when parents come here and they don't have to be the person who is administering the medications or getting up at night every four hours to check on a, a child with a high fever or all the things that one does with a critically ill child at home, if we can take some of that responsibility away, it lets parents just be parents. They can just enjoy not only the sick child, but their healthy children. And you know that it's the healthy children who often pay a very high price to have had a critically ill sibling because as much as parents want to devote time to them, they are the ones who get short shrift in that experience. Absolutely. I remember saying to my young child who needed some attention that I couldn't give her, we have to take care of the sick one first, <laughs> you know, because yes. there was no other way to explain what was happening. Yeah. Right. So uh, I want to come back and really talk about the services that you offer and a little more about how you got this to happen, because uh, going back to my first three questions, because it's such a monumental project, so amazing what you've built. So those two things, uh, the services you offer and how you got it to happen, let's come back to that when we're, when we're done with our break. Uh, listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, and you can find Kathy Hull and George Mark Children's House at georgemark.org. Be back soon. Mm-hmm. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere. Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Kathy Hall who's the founder and president of George Mark Children's House, which is a uh, hospice and palliative care uh, and respite center for for um, chronically and terminally ill children. And before the break, Kathy, I was, I was um, mentioning that I'd really like to, um, you know, talk more fully about the services you offer, but I thought a way we could launch into that is, one of the kids that you talked about in your TED talk, Crystal, because I thought that that the story of her time with you captured something about what you do uh, that that's very precious. Could you share that with people? Sure, I'm happy to um, both talk about her and. This is a perfect example, Cheryl, of what I was saying earlier, that when parents are so afraid that their children won't be remembered, um, I know that Crystal's mother would be thrilled to know that we're having this conversation about her sweet daughter, who was so young when she died, of a brain tumor. Um, But when Crystal first came to us, 
she had been in the hospital um, with an inoperable brain tumor, and the referring physician thought perhaps she had a week or two to live, and the goal was to get her out of the hospital into our facility, which was relatively new. Um, so not very many children had been here, and it was lovely that her physician knew about us and said, let's get her over to George Mark and, you know, let her spend the last couple weeks of her life in a place that's much warmer and more user-friendly than a hospital ward. So when she first arrived, um, you know, we spent certainly the first day or two settling a child in, and she was unusual in the sense that she was a foster child, and her foster family had several other children, and they didn't live nearby, so when she came from the hospital, she was not accompanied by the usual family members that do come most often, so I think right away she captured a special place in the hearts of our staff because everybody was, you know, wanting this sweet young girl to have the best possible quality of life. Um, And that's exactly what happened. I mean, she settled in. Um, We have therapy animals, as you know, because your wife comes with a dog to visit her children. And we have... have, um, a therapy camel who comes, which always... I was just about to say, dogs are nothing compared to the camels. (laughs) Compared to the camel who was just here last week and the kindest, most gentle animal and the children are just beside themselves, as you can imagine. Many of them have never even seen a camel, much less have one visit in their room. But anyway, um, Crystal not only settled in and became really comfortable with the staff, but she had what we call the George Mark bump, meaning she outlived the prognosis that the referring physician had suggested. I mean, she had been in such a downward decline, and, you know, from his best observation, he just expected she she wouldn't survive more than another week or two. And once she just got comfortable and cozy and, you know, was being so loved by the staff, um, she lived for four months. Mm. And that really, we talked earlier about the gift of time, and that's exactly what that was. And after she'd been here a little bit, she called her grandmother and said, Grandma, I'm in a great big house, and there's room for you. Um, You could come stay. And I love this part of it. She said, and you don't have to bring any quarters because the washer and dryer are free. Now, from the, <laughs> the really important stuff. <laughs> that was an important feature. Yes. And indeed, her grandmother arrived and stayed the remaining three months. And the two of them just had such a good time together. I mean, irreplaceable time in the truest sense of the word. And it was you know, it was healing for them. It was healing for all of us to know that we had made such a significant difference in her life. And I think that's the piece that for the people who are on staff here, 
um, a very typical reaction if you're saying sort of the cocktail party small talk, what do you do? And if any of us responds, oh, I work at a pediatric respite center and we also provide end-of-life care, people are like, ugh, they don't even know what the next question should be. (laughs) I always just say, and it's really heartwarming work. It's lovely to be in the right place at the right time and be able to wrap our arms around these families and shore them up and offer really extraordinary medical care at the same time. Well, you know, as someone uh, more specifically involved in the grief uh, part of, of, of this story, uh, it makes a huge difference in grief to, one, have had that time, two, to know that it's, it's happening, to be aware that it's happening and be able to make choices uh, based on that. It's, it's really a regret reducer. And in my mind, regret is one of the biggest difficulties in, in grief. Um, so I can I imagine, I can imagine that, um, you know, her grandmother, of course, must have experienced quite deep and profound grief, but along with having had that time, along with, uh, a substantially reduced regret. Yes. I agree. Uh, I really feel that if people are able to embrace the fact that in all probability, in spite of everybody's hope for a miracle, uh, the best medical treatment that has been available to this family, if they can consider that alternative that nobody really wants to look at, that this may not work. Everything that we're trying may not work. And if you could get to that place and say, well, if in fact this is the amount of time we have left with our child, let's just make the best of it. And we have a, I talked about another charming family in my TED Talk, and their infant son came to us with a, I mean, he had, was born with a very compromised brain, um, and his parents were told that he would never walk or talk or swallow or have a quality of life that any of us would define as very meaningful. Um, and they chose, they made a, a very considered decision to not prolong their son's life and not do extraordinary measures and just enjoy him for the time that he was alive. And they, because they were here with the support that they needed to give them some confidence, yes, you could take him out on a hike. Mm-hmm. Why not? Right. Um, let's put him, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing that uh, I, I was laughing because um, when I would travel with my wife when she was very, very ill, people would say, aren't you afraid something will happen? And and she'd say, I'm dying. Something is going to happen. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to miss the trip. Um, you know. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and that's, I mean, especially first-time parents who 
you know, are already very tentative about the fragility of a baby, and now they have one whose life is severely compromised, and they're terrified, you know, and for us to be able to say to them, you know, if it's important for you, for your baby to see the ocean, then this is a perfect day. Look what a nice day it is. Mm, And that's the kind of things that they would do knowing that they were coming back to a very safe place and that if the worst possible thing happened and their child died, they were doing just the things they wanted to be doing. Absolutely. And, you know, circling back around to what kinds of things you have on tap, you know, at, at the center itself, um, you could, I could imagine families having uh, a breadth of experiences there. You have uh, aquatic therapy. You have, I'm going to not know some of them. Uh, you have um, physical therapy. You have an art room. You have music. You know, it, it's pet therapy. Uh, you have beautiful, beautiful grounds. Beautiful grounds. Um, and I so, can't say enough what a sanctuary setting we have and how meaningful that is to our families. For many of them, they have spent months and sometimes years cumulatively with children with a chronic, really severe illness and defined by one hospital stay after another. And for them to come here and, you know, even if their child is bedridden, we could get those beds outside. You know, we roll them right out the door if it's a nice day. (laughs) And again, it's like, why not? You know, a hospital really can't do that. And that's part of the gift that we get to do. We're small enough that we can just say, well, of course, we're barbecuing on the lawn. Let's get everybody outside. The other thing I notice, uh, having been to the center a few times, a, a complete uh, absence of hospital noises and the kind of antiseptic smell that you have in hospitals. Uh, it's, it's, and of course, there's homey colors and nice decorations and, and all of that. But uh, is that hard to eliminate all of that, you know, equipment noise? And because you are still offering kind of high-intensity medical care sometimes. Um, We do provide very high-acuity care. Um, The difference is that we don't have, um, for instance, a resuscitation team. And in a hospital, that's a lot of the noise. I mean, if somebody needs a full-on resuscitation, there are bells and whistles and announcements over the loudspeaker, and everybody's impacted by that, that sense of immediacy and urgency and terror. And our message to parents is, we don't do that here, but if that's the decision that you make at the end of your child's life, that you really do want to do more, we're, you know, a very short ambulance right away from children's hospitals. So they could come to us knowing that our range of services doesn't include those really high-octave end-of-life scenarios, which lets us be, you know, a much calmer environment. 
You can feel it walking in for sure. Having spent lots of time in hospitals, and uh, yes, you know, and then and then walking into George Marcus, a completely different experience. So um, that, that shows really was our goal. I mean, that was a very thoughtfully um, planned part of what it was we were trying to create. And mm-hmm. happily, we had an architect, um, Bill Remick, who's just incredibly skilled, and his field is residential architecture. And I, I went to him because he had done some remodeling on our 100-year-old house, and I thought he had done it in a lovely way and very much in keeping with the original architecture. But I also knew that he would listen to what it was I was hoping to have happen here. So that was, now I'm circling back around, Cheryl, to how did we all make this happen? Yes, because um, what a, I mean, I've worked in nonprofits and you know, helped get them going. <laughs> what a monumental task you undertook. It, and and we're, um, we're almost time for a break, so we're going to just start on this, and then we'll come back to it after the break. All right. And I would say the undertaking of it um, didn't feel daunting because we didn't know enough to be intimidated. You know, as I said... Sometimes I help. Oh <laughs> yeah, it was very helpful. <laughs> I mean, I would say that naivete along with the fact that I would describe myself as being very tenacious and I knew that we were trying to do something great and I'm good at keeping my eye on the prize, but it was a much longer, more arduous process than any of us would have anticipated. Well, and just the, uh, I mean, I know for sure Land prices are high in the Bay Area. Building costs are high. Just actually getting the money, let alone how beautifully it's uh, architected and, you know, um, just making those connections and making it happen must have been quite a long thing. Let's, let's come back to that just for a minute after the break. And uh, listeners, while, while we're on the break... Again, go and look for us. Uh, I also have a website, weatheringrief.com, and my Good Grief host page, of course. And you can find Kathy Hall and the George Mark House at georgemark.org. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every month. Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
Inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been here with Kathy Hall from George Mark Children's House. And, Kathy, before the break, I was I was kind of expressing my awe at you at you getting the center built and and funded and I I have to say when I was preparing for this uh, I had never thought of it quite this way but I thought this means that a ton of people believed in this idea because unless you're much wealthier than you appear uh, you couldn't do it alone. Um, um, that harkens, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm quoting Hillary Clinton about it takes a village, um, yeah. and I say that so often about this sweet little facility. It, the entire Bay Area is our village because, you know, we just get support, um, and I'm talking support of all kinds. Your wife being one of them. I mean, we couldn't do this without our volunteers. We couldn't do it without the organizations that support us, put on fundraisers for us. Um, initially, we needed um, to finance, you know, the construction of the house. So that's been a big, um, you know, ongoing piece of our moving forward as being sure that we're reducing this debt and providing the services that we need to, which gives me one minute to say that this is the first time ever that we're doing a really major legacy campaign to 
be able to start some new programs, like a nursing education program. Mm. Um, we've been here 15 years. You know, our facility can use some updating. So, again, we'll be reaching out to the community to say, we need your help. And, and of course, if anyone can help who's out there listening... Please do so. It's really an amazing thing. I, I didn't want us to get out of here, too, without saying that none of the families pay anything. And so yeah, that's, a, and that's, that's a very big ongoing um, need for fundraising because what is it, about 20% is, is billable to any health care system? Private payers, yes, or any health care. Um, and again, this is really goes right back to where we started that, you know, England seems to have a better awareness of the services that families need at this particular juncture, and they provide them, you know, I mean, they're... I do, I do wonder if some of that is because it's all one system, and I have to think this kind of care is much less expensive, actually. Than um, keeping a kid in a hospital. The piece that, that um, for which we really do major fundraising is offering respite care to families, and that isn't reimbursed. Um, if a family has a child connected to one of our local regional centers, there's a per diem um, small reimbursement that doesn't cover the actual cost of having them here. Mm-hmm. Um, but our, you know, our goal has always been to just say, yes, of course, come, we're here, we'll, we'll take care of you. And behind the scenes, you know, it's like, okay, we need to raise a significant amount of money to be able to do this. Absolutely. And we're just ever grateful. I mean, you're right. We have an entire community of people that, um, and not just locally, you know, we have donors from across the United States who have read about us, who have been impacted because a family member was here, who know somebody, all of those things that networks of people do. And it's very heartwarming to see Absolutely. even people who make a commitment of $10 a month, which, you know, doesn't sound like a lot, but cumulatively, those make a real difference for us. All it takes is a thousand people to have a major line item, right? <laughs> For sure. No, that's really true. Yeah. Well, Kathy, I really don't want to get out of here without talking about your brothers. Uh, I was originally so touched when I found out that the center was named after your brothers. Um, And then, of course, this theme of the show is about loss leading in unexpected directions. So I wonder if you could just talk about... um, you know, the experience of losing your brothers and how that maybe connects with what you're doing now. I'm happy to do that. Um, I'll start by saying that having our facility named George Mark Children's House has been such a healing, wonderful thing for our entire family. I mean, every single day these names are said out loud. Um, you know, it was a way to create a legacy. They both died when they were young. My brother Mark and his best friend were killed in a single car 
automobile accident. Mark was 16 and his friend was 17. Um, in the early 1960s when cars didn't have seatbelts, mm-hmm. you know, they both probably would have survived and not been thrown from the car. But you can't live in the what ifs. It's I'm just stating the fact that it was a fatal accident that today probably would not have been that. But um, he was only 16. He really didn't get to do the things that one would have hoped. His life. He was very artistic and funny and quite a character. And you know you can only play it forward in your imagination what he might have done had he lived. And then George, who was the oldest of the six of us, um, died of melanoma when he was 30. And he had married his high school sweetheart when they were both in college. And they had four little children, Mm. um, which was, I mean, just heart-wrenching at every level. Yes. And, you know, part of the legacy for him has been for his children to be connected to this center and to know that there's something that is honoring their dad in a way that's so meaningful. And so, also, I, th- I think in terms of grief that um, it's, it's a way that they are continuing that, that if people are saying their names every day, no one's trying to avoid the fact that they died. And to me, that would have a big impact as well, that um, it's it's just out in the open to be talked about and to for them to be honored and spoken of and all the rest. That seems very meaningful to me. It's very meaningful. It's heartwarming. And it's also very healing. I mean, I think it's particularly poignant when families have a hard time together talking about their, um, you know, deceased son or daughter or sibling. And I think the people, and you know this very well, are tiptoeing very cautiously when talking to a bereaved parent, not wanting to make them any sadder, and yet also then you know, kind of increasing a parent's fear that their child will be forgotten because people are afraid to talk about him or her. And also, I I have to say that that it also um, leads to the parent's hesitancy to talk. The message a lot of grieving people take from other people's unwillingness to talk is, nobody wants me to talk about this. And that is kind of crushing, isn't it? It is, and I often say to our families, um, it really helps other people if you're the one who invites them to remember your child, and if you're the one who says, tell me a fun story that you remember, Um, because then it really does let other people feel safe to do that without thinking that they're just opening a wound. Absolutely, for sure. So and I want to come back, Cheryl, to to the conversation that you and I were having um, during the break. That 
You know, I would never describe losing a sibling as having a silver lining. I mean, you know, you know and I know that we give, you know, one of our limbs to have those people back in our lives. But given the fact that we don't get to choose that, what we do get to choose is what we do with that experience. And for you and for me, you know, choosing something so life-affirming has really let us make a difference in a way that I don't think either one of us could have pictured. Could not not have pictured it. Absolutely not. But um, it... It is very redeeming, and I guess I guess I would say grief is going to hurt, but can it do something else too? Um, you Absolutely. know, is there an opportunity it, for it to be more than that? And it takes—I mean, that's certainly at the latter. St- I don't even like to use the word stages of grief because it is so all over the map, but. I think it takes a while for somebody to get there and recognize that there is the possibility of something positive when everything else just feels so heart-wrenching. Absolutely true. I want to circle back to Crystal because I named this show Worth It. And I love the mm-hmm. story of her trying to gouge you by s- selling you a cookie, <laughs> a tiny little cookie for $3 and you objecting oh, and I... her saying, worth it, because the thing is, they're all worth it, aren't they? <laughs> they are. And that was, I'm smiling as we're having this conversation because she had such a big grin on her face when she said, and I'll just give the little quick piece about it, you know, two of our Patients were having a bake sale, and of course they were. We're not going to be able to tell the whole story though, because we have about one more minute. <laughs> okay, well then so, I'm just going to so say we'll that go when I said that seems very expensive for one cookie. She just gave me this impish grin and said, "I know, but I'm worth it." Yeah, exactly. So, so true. People can now go to, go to see your TED talk, which is fabulous, and they can hear. Even more detail about that story and some other ones, too. I hope they'll go look because uh, it's just... And I want to close by, uh, by just coming back, Cheryl, to the fact that getting children out of the hospital and here can in and of itself not only be much more cost-effective, yes. but very We're, healing. Very healing. I want to thank you for being here. It's been wonderful, and I hope we'll, we'll meet again in our travels. Uh, next week, I'll I'm have sure Becky Savage... I'm sure we will, too. Becky Savage from the 525 Foundation. Her two sons, Nick and Jack, both died the same day when they mixed a prescription drug with alcohol. They were 18 and 19. The 525 Foundation seeks to share information about how dangerous that mix is to save other families from that experience. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.